Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to episode 96 of Double Hot Beat, where we take the pulse of the beer and brewing scene. I'm James, a home brewer and craft beer enthusiast. And I'm Shannon, a beer intermediate. Today, we are joined by two friends turned home brewers, Matt from Oil Creek Brewing Company and Ray from 1419 Brewing. Welcome, guys. Hey, hey thank you. Going on? Thanks so much. Thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. <laughs> Too easy. I hope you like the titles of like your introduction because we always try to f- find like something either funny or if some people actually have, you know, advanced Cicerone or they have different titles that they like to be called. But I think it's just what's really unique about you guys' story and we want to touch on it is how you guys are friends and maybe one person got the other into brewing. So whoever wants to start, how'd you guys get into home brewing? I'm Matt uh, with Oil Creek Brewing. So we... Ray and I, we went to high school together. I went to school with Ray's brother, actually. Ray was a couple years older, and so he graduated sooner, but whatever. He went off to the Navy. Anyhow, not to make this long drawn out, but about eh, seven years ago, a friend we have in common who we also went to high school with, he started homebrewing. And so we brewed a coffee stout. Actually, we were brewing a stout. And before we started the process, I was like, hey, look, I was like, let's put coffee in this. And he's like, yeah, we can do that. And I was like, okay. So I did a little quick research. I was like, we'll add it at the end of the boil, blah, 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 whatever. So we took that and we made it. And it was, it was all right. Uh, mm-hmm. It turns out six months later after we brewed it, it took first in a, in a competition, which blew my mind. Um, first beer I ever brewed took, took first in a competition. So I was kind of hooked, you know? Yeah. And then fast forward a few years and COVID happened. And and Ray, he, you know, he, he, he lives in Maryland. So I live in Pennsylvania. So we went to high school in Pennsylvania. And he needed something to do. And uh, I'll, I'll let him kind of tell his little story there. But I, I started just basically because a buddy wanted to brew. And I was like, yeah, I was like, okay, so we'll brew. So we did an extract kit on a Friday night and Saturday we did all grain. And all grain really was my kit. And that was really where I started was that all grain stout kit. And I was pretty much hooked like right after that. Wow. I think Matt, you have two really unique things right off the bat that I think really unique. Number one, that you were able to win for a first place on the first kind of go at brewing. And two, the ability to do extract and all grain as your kind of first brewing experiences is really cool. And you get to see both sides of the brewing. Yeah. So, and it's crazy because I'll be honest with you. Like I did quite a bit of research before I brewed my first all grain batch. Like I'll be completely honest. I didn't know shit about that extract kit. Like I let my buddy Russ do all that kind of work. I was like, well, you know, you, you show me what to do here. Cause I know what we'll do when we do all grain. So we did the extract thing, and that was cool. It was easy. It was quick. It was fun. Um, but the next day, we did the all-green kit, and, you know, it was quite a process. But I was pretty much hooked by it. You know what I'm saying? So it was fun. But fast forward, you know, during COVID, and Ray, he needed a hobby. I'm Ray. I'm with 1419. Um, I started brewing because of Matt. Like you said, we're best friends from childhood and stuff like that. And I've had, I had had Matt's beers over the years. He came to Italy to visit me, brought me beer, and I always wanted to get into home brewing, but I, from relocating all the time in the Navy, I just, I didn't have a spot to really settle down and do it. So when I moved to Maryland, we bought a house and I got settled, COVID hit, and I was like, like you said, I need something to do. So I got into home brewing, I got my system, went straight all grain out the gate, and I was hooked. I was brewing, I think my first year home brewing, I brewed 37 beers. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was 
balls to the walls. Like I just went crazy. The second year I did the same thing. I've only been home brewing now for three years and I got about 120, bro- 120 or 115 brews I've done. Yeah, a little more than three. But yeah. And um, the second year I started home brewing, we ended up, Matt and I started doing barrel beers. We were doing collaboration beers together. I entered into a competition. My first competition, I actually entered into a Roush beer, and that's a first place in this category and best of show. And then the Stout placed first, and then what we have? And you had an IPA that placed. So Matt is really the one that got me into homebrewing, you know what I mean? But when I was so addicted to the process and everything, it was just really fun, and I just haven't slowed down since. Yeah, that, that's really great story too, Ray. And thank you for your service too. Uh, our family's got a lot of history in the Navy, so thank you for your service uh, no, for that. No, too easy. You know what's even a fun fact is I'm actually, I just, on uh, July 15th, I started my retirement process. So October 31st, I'll be officially retired, but I'm on terminal leave right now. I did 20 years. I'm done. I'm just chilling now on vacation, you know? Wow, congratulations. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) appreciate it. Thank you. But that's our story. That's how we got into homebrewing. Yeah, that's awesome. And before we get into like what your setups are like, why don't you tell the listeners kind of behind your brewing, homebrewing names? What's the inspiration for it? How did you kind of come up with each of your names for your homebrewing? Okay, so uh, Oil Creek um, Brewing, I, I kind of, you know, I was trying to find a good name, trying to find a good name, you know, and I, I live in Titusville, Pennsylvania. It's the birthplace of the oil industry. In 1859, they drilled the first uh, oil well, successful oil well here. And uh, so the creek where they used to ship all the oil down in barrels is named Oil Creek. And just as most breweries do, they go geographical. And I was like, well, we're going to roll with Oil Creek Brewing. So that's how I kind of went up with my name. For me, I wanted my family to be involved in my hobby, I guess, and the kids and whatever. So I'm at 14 for my daughter. That's the year she was born. My son was born at 19. So I just went 14, 19 and called it a day. You know what I mean? Because those two years encompass both my daughter and son, obviously, but my wife as well, because, I mean, we both brought them. You know what I mean? So 14, 19, most people were like, what's that mean? But to me, it means a lot. You know what I mean? Because it's my family. But Mm -hmm. uh, I thought it was a cool number. You know what I mean? Sounds like some old German brewery. 1419, you know what I mean? That <laughs> yeah. Not, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think Shannon and I need to start doing a game with ourselves of before we ask you how should you guess got what it, it is. try and guess why. Okay. They and, you know, Ray, that's really awesome that, you know, you mentioned like family and bringing into the home brewing and wanting them to be involved. And I would never have guessed that by 1419. I would have guessed maybe a historical the year 1419 to you meant yeah. something like with the Navy, you know, Navy I was going to say maybe something Navy. Something nautical, something <laughs> yeah. like that. Or maybe a yeah. zip code or like something like that. And for you, Matt. Your birthday. Or, yeah. And for you, Matt, Oil Creek Brewing. Like, I don't think I would have gotten oil like from. I would have because they were not very, not his name's creative. No, they weren't very creative back in the day when they were naming things. They were like, yeah. oh, this road's windy let's call it windy road like just, yeah, yeah and yeah, i guess if you think right. about it where that's we used right. to live i my first i started home brewing and i called it bellingham home brewing and it was like that was the town i'm like wow that sucks and then i went to checkmate brewing and i was like oh i had this great idea for you you know you have your mix packs the packaging and it would be chess pieces and you'd be able to play with the bottles and you'd be able to interact the beer with the game and i'm like no one plays chess you don't i don't even, even play, play chess. chess i don't even know how it works i'm like that's a stupid name and then I went. Well, it's hard. It's it's yeah. actually hard to come up with a creative original name. You know what I mean? Like, 
Yep. I actually sat on mine. I was brewing for like a year and a half before I decided that. I was like, you know what? And I didn't even start my Instagram until Matt did like a year later or whatever. I was like, I'm not a big social media person, but he convinced me to do it. And I was like, yeah, now I got to pick a name, I guess. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> you got to have something. Yeah, that's, yep, that's it. Yeah. And, you know, the Titusville connection, like I was a history teacher for six years and then now I'm a special ed teacher. But uh, so history has always kind of been important to me. So the connection and the geographical connection was important. So Yeah. And there's nothing geographical importance about White Plains, Maryland, to be honest with you. <laughs> this episode almost needs to be called like geographical importance because you two are both <laughs> went to the same high school and then you know, your names are both like important. I don't know. It's really funny. James is trying to be creative now. Shannon's shaking her head going, no, sorry, that's not happening. <laughs> okay, well, let's circle back to the brewing aspect and why don't you guys tell us what your current setups are okay so here at oil creek i basically this is crazy so <laughs> when i started my teaching job so i went to my athletic director my buddy and i said hey i said what are you doing with those coolers and he goes well nothing i said can i take one he goes what are you gonna do with it and i said brew beer he goes <laughs> uh yeah go ahead i didn't see anything right so <laughs> oh, i grabbed geez. this cooler so I grabbed this cooler and I brought it home and I, I was like, okay, I got to fix this thing up. So I turned this mash done out of like a power eight cooler. It's, it's not a, it's not a rectangular cooler. It's a square cooler. Right. So it's kind of unique in that aspect, but this is crazy because a hundred times I thought about changing this cooler out. Like I've been like, well, I should get different mash ton, this thing, that, that whatever. Cause it's my mash ton. It only loses like one degree of temperature in an hour. I can't come That's away from crazy. It. Wow. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. Like, I actually called a guy at, like, Brewer's Hardware. I think his name is Bobby. And I talked to him one day. And I said, hey, I said, here's what I want to do. I want, like, a rim setup. He goes, yeah. He goes, I can get you that. He goes, what are you using now? I said, a cooler. He goes, do you only lose, like, a degree or two an hour? I said, yeah. He goes, what do you just want more shit to fuck with? <laughs> and I was like, well, you got a good point, bud. Like, I just roll with what you got. And I was like, man, I was like, this guy could have told me everything. It's told me the sun, right? Yeah, absolutely. But, um, but I rolled with that Powerade cooler, and I still use it. I have an SS Brutech boil kettle. Um, so what I do is, essentially, my setup is a boil kettle and a mash ton. I have a small kettle that I fill up uh, with my sparge water. And so I, I mash in. And then I mash out, but I, then I put my sparge water in there and I run that through and I run it off. So that's my setup. I've used the same setup now for quite some time. I just kind of, kind of, kind of hooked on it, to be honest with you. Like I said, I've wanted to change that mash on a hundred times. I can't bring myself to. So now are you it's using nostalgic. the SS Protect the electric or are you doing a burner? That's a good question. So I have propane. I use, I use propane. So I brew in my garage, but I, of course I'm brewing with propane. I keep the door open. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and so that's just what I've always done. I mean, I'm like a hundred and probably almost 200 brews in, but I just can't get away from it. I've wanted to do electric too. And again, like, I just can't see myself like spending the money to do the electric setup in my garage because what I got works. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it works and it's simple and it's, you know, it's one of those things where you can upgrade and upgrade, but then if you're not really gaining much, you're gaining more complexities. Like right now to break down my system, like it's not truly a CIP and you're good to go. Like unless you brew within like a matter of hours afterwards, you're going to get some moisture in those lines. So it's one of those things that you think you're increasing efficiency or you think you're going to make your brew day better by getting better equipment, but that's not at all true. And it's just getting used to your own personal setup and what works. 
that's 100% correct, right? Like anything outside of that, you're just spending money for spending money. Yeah, you're just spending money for the sake of new equipment. Yeah, and so, you're lucky too that those power aids wasn't uh, no one's dirty like socks from the, the gym <laughs> was in those. What do you think they do at school gyms, James? You never know. Put their socks in the that's water. Why that's why those beers took first place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that funk, that extra that school gym boot. funk. <laughs> Nostalgia. Cold. Now it keeps that mash warm. Yeah. <laughs> that's why that one degree. For me, at 14, 19, what I do, Matt recommended going all electric. Because after he started brewing, the electric system started, the all-in-one system started being getting a little more advanced and things like that. So I ended up going to the Anvil Foundry, the 10 and a half gallon. And it's just the all-in-one. It's super simple. I've actually kind of hacked my system to where the Anvil Foundry, it comes with that basket where you can only put 16 pounds of grain in it. But I've actually got rid of that basket and had a custom bag made from... Uh, Brew bag. Yeah. Yep. We got one of those yep. too. So what's crazy is when I called them originally, they didn't even have bags for Anvil Foundries at the time. It was only for the basket. So I measured out my kettle and I said, I want one for my kettle. So I can now put, instead of putting 16 pounds of grain in my, my anvil, I can put up to 23 pounds of grain in my kettle. And I have a pulley system on my garage. I can winch it up with, um, I've completely hacked my foundry to go from making basically simple lagers to making imperial stouts, you know, Wow. and everything in between. Um, I love it. My fermenters, I run two spikes with a glycol chiller, the CF5 fermenters. I started out with buckets, of course. I bottled out of buckets like 12 batches of beer. Then after that, I got my first anvil fermenter, the little bucket one, and then I ended up getting a spike fermenter and then... I mean, I've been hooked since day one, and I never slowed down. And I got another spike, so I got two spike fermenters now. I got four kegs going. You're on your way. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, to kind of build upon that, at Oil Creek, like, I have a SS Brewtech unit tank, and I have a glycol chiller, and I also have a spike conical now. I had another SS, uh, the Chronicle, which is essentially just a bucket on legs. It didn't hold any pressure, so... I got a spike. I sold that and got a spike just recently, actually in the last month. So I'm glad I did that because I just wanted something that I would hold pressure, you know? Right, because mm -hmm. you're really focusing on the pressure fermentation versus something that it's nice to stainless and it has a conical bottom so you don't have to worry about that sediment that you'd get in a plastic bucket. Correct, yeah. And now, we, we made some really good bucket beers, I ain't gonna lie. Yeah, but when you, when you have the capability of pressure fermenting and you have basically a, a homebrew system that's like on the you know professional level as far as equipment it makes your beers like next level you know what i mean yeah like i started doing my hazies in a bucket and they were good don't get me wrong but i was also bottling them and so they were cool like for the first week or two but after that no they were dog shit so <laughs> yeah they would be oxidized but they were really good out the gate you know in that bottle but you just if you didn't drink them fast enough they were shitty and so i was like well i gotta fix this yeah, yeah. And, and again it's nothing wrong with if you're starting out in or even exactly. if you're just comfortable in your siphon master where you don't draw up all that trube on the bottom of the bucket and you're really good about siphoning it off and comfortable with losing a little bit more of your beer than you would in a conical bottom. I think that it's also a doable for someone who doesn't want to spend those, you know, 600 or plus dollars oh, on no, a 100 percent. Yeah. I mean, I think honestly like it's it's humbling starting out with buckets because you realize how difficult it can be mm -hmm. to brew beer in a bucket. You know what I'm saying? And then when you get higher up and you want to expand your brewery or, you know, just increase your home brewing hobby or whatever, and you go a conical isn't it's way easier you can make way better beer but remembering starting out on buckets like it's it's kind of cool you know what i mean 
yeah. yeah. It's almost like working your way up. You got to have those humble roots to really appreciate exactly. what it takes. Yeah. And, and exactly. I, have to, I have to ask, do you guys still have your plastic buckets from when you first started? Okay. I got a better story. Yes, I do have my original bucket. My original fermenter that I made my uh, first beer in was a Kolsch. I actually use that as my grain bucket. Like I, cause we mill our own grains and I actually use that to catch the, you know, to mill my grains into. However, my original glycol chiller was a cooler. Check this out. So I took a true, a cooler, drilled two holes in it and I had the glycol in it or just actually not even glycol. It was just ice water. It was just water with ice bottles and like frozen bottles mm-hmm. and there. I was able to get my water temp down, and this is hooked up to my spike fermenter, mind you. So I was able to get my water in the cooler with ice bottles down to 31 degrees. Wow. <laughs> and I was able to logger and like cold crash a whole spike fermenter out of a cooler with ice bottles. That's crazy. Um, and that's before I got my glycol chiller. Now it was a chore, like every 12 hours or yep. six hours, especially when I was cold crashing, I was swapping. I had like a, I had like 24 bottles in the freezer. And I would switch them out. Like I'd put 12 in there, then switch them out, then 12 in there to keep the ice, you know, the temperature of the water down in the cooler. But that was my original glycol chiller. And I still own that cooler because one day if Matt and I ever open a brewery, what we want to do is take our original equipment and make like a, make like a little uh, display case of how we started. You know what I'm saying? Like a museum. Exactly. And and now Shannon can't make fun of me for having all my original stuff. And I still use the buckets to this day for Mm -hmm. cleaning and for using the spike uh, condenser where I have to constantly bring in nice cold water to keep that steam going. That's right. And I use my original bucket. I use it as a uh, sanitizer bucket. Yeah, absolutely. And Ray, I think you brought up a great point about your setup on one of the limitations, at least I found that I moved away from the all-in-one systems is that limitation when you're doing all grain brewing with that basket and how much grains you get maxed out very quickly, depending on the style beer you're going to brew. So I think that was very innovative that you were like, hey, like if I put a bag and I can measure that out, I can more than almost double probably it's probably what 10 or 12 pounds before and then you said 20 something you could yeah get it went, i went from i went from maxing out at 16 to maxing out at 23 you know so that's a great that's- option for homebrewers out there if you have the same anvil and you want to go ahead and try and brew you know bigger beers that require more grains like try and do something what? like ray did oh yeah 100 percent. you the anvil is a really good system. That basket, honestly, it's a cool thing, but man, it, it really limits the capability of that machine, you know? Yeah, yeah. That that bag, like we actually, we did a uh, barrel-aged stout, and our starting gravities were like 11.30 and 11.20. They were high as shit. Yeah. Yeah, we boiled it for like 90 minutes, but at the same time, like, you know, we could put all that grain in that anvil. It was, we packed it full, you know, and I did it on my system. Like I put that much grain in my system and he did it in his. So yeah, it's fun to learn how to hack those, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And now on that barrel aged stout that you just talked about, what kind of a barrel did you use? Can you tell us briefly what your process was? Was it your first barrel aged together? So we've done two barrels now. Oh, this is three. Yes, that's correct. Actually. Yeah, he's right. So we did three barrel aged beers together. So we actually just transferred our most recent one tonight, but we started number one. I'd made a smoked stout with uh, cherry wood smoke and we got a barrel from McLaughlin's distillery in Pittsburgh. They do this small craft distillation. And uh, we got a barrel from them that had bourbon in it. 10 gallon. 10 gallon barrel. And we 
we came to my garage and and he brewed on his system and i brewed on my system put them in my fermenters and then when they were done fermenting we transferred to the barrel and sat there for six months so we also have a buddy that we went to high school with who owns one of the largest maple syrup production operations in northwest pennsylvania nova maple syrup you can buy their stuff on amazon actually so he took the 10 gallon barrel and he transferred all maple syrup into it and it sat with six months with maple syrup in it and then when the six months were up he gave the barrel back and we brewed another stout and we put that in there so that that beer was a maple bourbon stout and so what this is so cool so my my job at the time my teaching job at the time we had a really good top program and we had a laser engraver so the barrel was spent like you weren't getting another beer out of it so i took it and i cut the heads off the barrel like with a couple of the rings attached and Mm -hmm. i did on both sides and i laser engraved his logo on one side and my logo on the other so I have my Oil Creek on my wall, and he has his 1419 on his wall. And oh, that's, that's our really first cool. barrel. Oh, nice. It's yeah. our first barrel ever. And oh, then the second bros, bros. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's oh. it. And then, and then the next barrel we got from McLaughlin's. We took about a pint of their signature bourbon, and we, we dumped it in the barrel. And, it, of course, it had bourbon in it. But we did that, and then we threw some vanilla beans in it, uh, eight vanilla beans. Mm-hmm. And then we made a, a big stout. And we put it in there, and it was in there for five months and seven days. Yeah. And we transferred it out just tonight. Like, it was right in a good spot, real good spot, good good oak, good vanilla, good bourbon flavor, good stout flavor, all that stuff. Transferred out and put it in kegs tonight. So, And that, um, the first beer Matt was talking about, the smoked ones, we called it smoked Demogorgon. That actually <laughs> took first place in a competition. And then the second beer we made, the maple one, I actually oh, yeah. put it, that took third place in a competition, and it also took first place in a competition in Maryland. Our oh, wow. bourbon, our barrel beers have really done well as far as competing, you know? Yeah, I actually forgot about that. Mm-hmm. And if you had to give and, one tip to someone who wants to get into the barrel aging with a regular, say, a stout that they're doing, what's your biggest tip that you can give someone when they're going to do that? Patience. Like, yeah, yeah. Patience. I would say patience because, for example, this beer that we just transferred out of the barrel tonight, um, it was in there five months. At a month in, Matt would... Now, I live six hours away from Matt, and I drive up, because this is where I live, but, I mean, I drive up to visit. But anyways, he would taste it. We have a Vinny nail, and he would taste it. be like, man, this beer is awesome right now. Then a month later, he'd be like, eh, it's kind of gone south. I don't like it. It tastes real burning or whatever. And I was like, Matt, just give it time. So he'd try it in a couple months, and it would get better. But in the last week or so, you know, it's been almost five and a half months He's like, dude, it's perfect. You know what I mean? So if you're barrel aging a stout, it's patience. If you don't like it, you just got to let it, especially these big ABV beers, anything north of 10%, you got to let it ride out. You got to let it age. You got to let the oak do its job. You got to let the barrel do its job and let the malt come through and let the burn from the alcohol go away. You know what I mean? Just, just patience, honestly. Yeah, that's it. That's really it. And I recommend doing the Vinny nail. Do a Vinny nail so you can sample it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a, a good tip. great tip. And with our barrel aged, it, you're spot on where we tried it and we're like, oh man, this is really good. But it was very whiskey forward because we did it in a yep. uh, Sons of Liberty whiskey barrel. And yep. that booziness was just so in your face that we're like, all right, oh, we, yeah. we'll just bottle it and we'll just make sure it just sits. Like we were good. Like it had plenty of the flavors we wanted, but it was too upfront. And we let it sit, let it sit, let it sit. Then now it's like, six to nine months later and it's every bottle that we pull now is so much better than the last because oh, yeah. it's sat yep yeah exactly. those stouts have so much going into them they just need time to mellow 
mm-hmm. know what I mean? They're never going to lose their alcohol content, you know what I mean? But they're only going to develop their flavors over time, you know? That's one of the that's one of the beers that can age well, you know? And now I will say, we've drank a couple barrel-aged beers that are two-plus years old, and they're okay. They're starting to go south. They're starting to go south, but you, you really got to kind of, you know... As far as the barrel, though. As I mean, far as patience. the barrel goes, it's just patience, you know? Yeah. And once you, get them, once you get them going, you know, I mean, I don't know if you're doing five or ten gallons, but you're getting, you know, whatever, 40 or 80 pints out of that thing, so... Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's more than plenty. Those 22-ounce bottles it's, it's, are awesome for those, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Now, you mentioned you all are about six hours apart. So how often do you get to brew together? So we brew together probably two or three times a year, I would say. I mean, you know, like I, I traveled down there. I'm a teacher. My wife's a teacher. And so in the summer times, we always go and, and we'll go for New Year's or whatever. But we, we try to do it two or three times. And we try to make a point to brew together when we're there. Um, but, you know, uh, we brewed an oyster stout one time. And this yeah. is crazy. So yeah. so a lot of people are always like, oysters. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. whatever. You know, it's cool. We actually, people in Maryland were actually complaining. They were like, yeah, it's not oyster season. And I was like, what are you talking <laughs> about? It's not oyster season. Like, so, so people in Virginia would harvest their oysters. Because you want them in the shell. Mm-hmm. People in Maryland weren't willing to sell them in the in the in the shell. Mm-hmm. So we drove just thirty or forty minutes to Virginia from Ray's house, and we got how many pounds? We got oh, we got a dozen. <laughs> well, we got more than that because we ate some of them. You got Yeah, we used a dozen in the boil, and so that that was actually one of the coolest like yeah. collabs we've done. The barrel aged beers are super cool, like but. To be honest with you, hey, you that know, oyster stout, that oyster stout place in a competition as well. Actually. That's that's true. <laughs> uh, but it was super. The, the oyster stout was kind of mind blowing because I was like, dude, we're brewing with oysters. So. <laughs> and now, Shan, we have the second home brewers. We've had someone else recently that talk about brewed with brew seafood. With so, yeah. Mike, nice. we had Mike on the episode before you guys, um, and he brewed a lobster beer. Mm-hmm. I was just uh, no say, way, really. And he was talking about know. oysters as well. So that's it's really great now that we've got two people bringing the seafood to beer. So I'm that's all awesome. about it. Where us New Englanders, we love it. We would love to try it. <laughs> that's old school oh, yeah. English tradition, though. They yeah. would they would do that a lot in England. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's like a history thing for English for oyster styles because originally it started out with porters and you know the the dock workers would drink porters and eat oysters and then. Brewers started like you know let's just throw the oysters in the in the porter you know the stout or whatever, and this is how it started you know. And we were kind of like we were all about it. We did it twice. We've done it twice. Yeah, twice. Yeah, we've done it twice. Uh, It's a good time. Yeah, and the cool thing is when you pull them out, you get to eat them afterwards. Oh yeah. Then you get to eat them, and then you know we'd buy extras and we'd eat those too. So when we were done brewing, we had a little meal. Yeah, Yeah. that's awesome. And again, like the great thing about oysters too is. You can get different flavors coming out of it based on the season, whether where you harvest them, where they came from, what kind of oysters, and they're going to add either brininess or a sweetness to your beer, too, so it's great. Yeah, ours ours generally, they were Chesapeake Bay oysters, and they mm-hmm. typically added a little brininess to the beer. Yeah. Um, you know, here in PA, I can't get fresh oysters, uh, so it wasn't even really something I would I would even think about here. So the the brewery, man, what's the name of that brewery? That oh, that's, I so, knew you'd ask that. So Matt and I, we called, I wish I... Off the top of my head, I can't remember the I name of the brewer. But this they're guy in Baltimore. Was, yeah, they're super cool. They brew an oyster stout every single year in Baltimore, Maryland. And we, when Matt and I have a question about a beer, 
a style. We literally call the brewer at the brewery that this beer comes from, yeah. and we talk to the brewer directly. So we talk. We call this brewer in Baltimore. We're like, hey, how do we make a home? You know, a oyster stout at the homebrew level and stuff. He walked us through like what he does and stuff and what he recommendations. And that's just what we do. You know what I mean? For example, we we um, made a Roush beer, and um, we call oh. Notch in Massachusetts, and we're like, mm-hmm. hey what was your you know this and that and the brewer talked to us and we told us what to do recommendations and stuff like that so when matt and i have a question about a beer style that we're not familiar with we will call the brewer directly yeah that's and matt caught a call to someone in california yeah that's funny because i was just going to tell that story so remember when brewed ipas were a thing oh yeah so i I talked to kim sturdivant himself on email and phone several times just kind of collaborating about how I would go about making a brewed IPA at the homebrew level. This was years ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nobody in Western Pennsylvania was brewing brewed IPAs. Okay. So I brewed a brew IPA. I went to my homebrew store and I was like, yeah, I made a brew IPA. And the guy was like, what's that? So then I had to explain what it was. And then like a month later, or two months later, it came out in like your, uh, you know, beer and brewing magazine, what brewed IPA was, but it was a lot of fun. And I just think that that's important because a lot of those people are very willing to, to talk to you. They're really willing to mm-hmm. offer advice. And that's so helpful to home brewers. And that's really, it's important to guys like us. Like you get their, you know, their two cents, you get how they're doing it, what they're doing, like what works, what doesn't work and what they do and all that. Yeah. I mean, that's great that they're, you're able to call them up and ask those questions that they're so willing to help because I feel like in other industries, that's not always the case. You know, people don't want to encourage competition. So, yeah, I mean, especially if it's like, hey, I'm well, a homebrewer. It's like, are you really a homebrewer? Are you the craft brewery down the street that's trying to like outbeat us? No, it's not like that. It's not like an airline. Yeah. <laughs> and I can see that. But typically brewers, they're so likable and they just personable. They just want to share their knowledge and talk yeah. about beer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's no. good stuff. I like it. Totally agree. So, Ray, would you like to tell us about your wild beer? How did that start, and what's your process for creating a starter? All right, absolutely. So, Matt and I have always loved wild beers. I'll be a little honest. Matt is a little afraid to do wild beers because he don't want to contaminate his brewery. Sounds like someone I know. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, me. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? I'll take that. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, so I'll tell you about the rose beard in general. I've done a couple of Brett beers and things like that. And they're good. So yeast of course grows on everything. And I was sitting in my house and I have a rose bush in my yard and I was like, I'm going to make a yeast starter out of that rose. Bush. <laughs> so what I did is I, and I don't spray with chemicals or anything. It's just a rose bush and it was flower and beautiful this spring. So I went out there and cut a half, a half dozen roses off the, the bush. And I took the whole flower and I made a starter with a honey and water, like two tablespoons of honey and some water. And I threw the roses in there and let them sit for about a week. And they, you don't really see a lot of activity. It's just kind of sitting there. But what I did is I took a can of proper start after seven days and I put it in another jar and I strained that rose water off into the proper start, right? And then I made another a second generation starter. That one showed activity like crazy. That yeast, whatever was on in those roses, took off. And after five or six days, what I did is I threw it in the fridge to decant. All the yeast settled to the bottom. After about a week, I decanted it and had a pretty good yeast cake at the bottom. So I made a third generation. I doubled my size 
and same thing after about three or four days it was it was fermenting on the stir plate like it was going to town so i decanted it again so on the fourth generation what i did is i took my proper start and i boiled it and i threw some hops in there just to get rid of any extra bacteria that might be in the starter right because i don't want bacteria in the beer at all i let it cool down i threw that yeast culture that I, you know, at the third generation onto the fourth generation of that starter. And I let it go to town and then I brewed a beer with it and chucked that rose yeast into the beer. And I was kind of apprehensive. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. <laughs> Matt and I were always like, what flavors is this going to be? Is it even going to attenuate? Is it going to do anything? I had activity within a couple hours after I pitched it. Within two weeks, it was done. And not only, and I wanted to make a small beer. I didn't, I wanted the yeast to be the sunshine of the beer. So I, did, I was like a low IBU. It's like 15 IBU, something real low. I didn't really want anything else besides the yeast to come through. So I just made just a general Saison recipe, you know, like uh, I think it was Pilsner or wheat malt and a little bit of hops, just, just enough to call beer. And I pitched the yeast and two weeks later I had beer and it dried. Not only did the yeast attenuate, but it dried it out to like almost below zero. So what I did then is I... You know, of course, I can condition it because Matt and I can. I figured out the sugar to water ratio in a can. I put it in there and I transferred the beer in there and can condition it. And it's actually one of the best farmhouse beers I've ever had. It's really good. You know, when the starter was going, it, it smelled like honey. It smelled mm. like apples, like green apples. It smelled real floral. And the beer kind of represents that. You know what I mean? It's It was an experiment. I just kind of just pulled out them out of thin air one day and... <laughs> I think Matt's cracked the one right now. <laughs> and you're and you're like, hey, uh, can we get some more rose bushes for our yard? And uh, you're going through the neighbor's yard of like, hey, do you mind if I get some roses? Because I'm ma making a beer with this thing. Oh man! And that not only did that fuel like, I was like, so what? The, what's the inspiration behind that was? Is Matt and I have always loved wild beers and saisons and farmhouses and stuff. And I've always wanted to take a fermenter and put like a cheesecloth over it and just set it out in a field of wildflowers. And just let it inoculate overnight and then ferment it, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I got a rose bush. So that's the best I could do right now. <laughs> so that's what I did. And once this beer fermented out, it was amazing. And I couldn't believe it. You know what I mean? So that's kind of started. I've, I got this barrel that Matt and I just emptied. I have another barrel at the house. I'm actually going to start. Like, I have a goose, a Belgian goose that I'm starting. Goose. Yeah, I'm sorry. Thank you. A goose, a Belgian goose. That Excuse I'm me. It's a goose, not goose. I, and I heard, I heard Goza recently, so it's, ever, it's yeah, whatever. Yeah, I've heard it said a million ways too, but that's really It's just funny. It's whatever you want to make it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm definitely, I definitely love wild beers. I love, I love the cracking shit that goes in them, the patience that goes into them because they're so unique. I mean, there's just so many flavors that go into a wild beer. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, you're literally wild. I mean, you, there's just no other way to describe it, you know? So that's how I did the starter. That's how I developed the rose beer and that's how i'm gonna continue my wild program as far as a home brewer goes i got a couple barrels i'm gonna ferment out you know a few wild beers and let her go that's great it always amazes me how people look at something and say hey i could make yeast out of that like Absolutely. i never would have looked at a rose bush and been like this is like good for something other than looking at and making yeah. my yard pretty it drinks good <laughs> well <laughs> when he told me what he was doing i said yeah i said that's not gonna attenuate i said it's gonna stall out i said it's gonna taste like dog shit and i was wrong i was wrong on every occasion because i was really like i said look i said i just don't think this is gonna work i said you could try it i said and it's worth trying 
So I'm, I'm really glad it worked out because, you know, this beer is actually, it's, it's real good. Yeah, it's killer for what it is. For what it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, so, Matt, you brew a lot and you focus a lot on pH adjustments. Can you yeah, kind of so, tell us how you got started with adjusting your pH and what difference have you seen? So Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast is something I listen to pretty regularly. I subscribe to their magazine, and so I read their magazines, but their podcast is really good. And episode 286 had Vinny Chalurzo, Kelsey McNair, and someone else in it, three heavy hitters on, on IPAs. And one of the things that they talked about in episode 236 was pH adjustments and how a lot of their beers would come out. They were really focused, if they were making like hazy beers or something, they were really focused on free whirlpool pH. You know, they were really focused on that. And so I was I was really trying to hone in on my pre-whirlpool pH being lower. Final pHs were looking about 4.6. That was what they were calling food safe. So I was I was brewing these beers and I was getting my my pre-whirlpool pH down to sub five. We'll just start there. Like it was somewhere in that neighborhood. And then I was adding hops and it was really lightening the bitterness of the hops and kind of sub, what I would say is subduing the hop character. And I did that once and I was pretty successful. My final pH wasn't quite as low as I would like. I think it was somewhere around five. And I was like, ah, I got to bring it down more. It was actually like four, nine. So I was like, I got to bring it down more. So I got it down to four, seven on the last attempt I did it. And it just subdues that hop character and I'm really happy with how they come out because it's more expressive and it's just kind of all around, you know, you get more hop flavor out of it. Like you're not getting that bitterness. You're not getting that astringency. It's just subdued. And, and you know, I've never suffered from aroma. I got another tip from that podcast that I was doing where I would take uh, Yakima Valley Hobbs makes incognito. And I was taking that incognito and I was pulling a sample, a pint of a uh, hot wort, like right after I would do flame out. I would pull like a pint of the wort and I would mix that incognito into it. And so when I would, when I would take the beer and I would transfer from, from kettle and knock out into my fermenter, I first would pour that pint with the incognito into the fermenter and then I would transfer in on top of it. And like that was another tip I picked up that was really helpful. I think it's helped with aroma for sure. And the pH just really, really has brought full circle the astringency of the beer down. I think a lot of people really suffer with astringency on their on their hazy IPAs. And you drink them and you'd be like, well, that's good beer, but it's kind of burny. And you get a lot of burn when those beers are young anyway. Yeah, but that, yeah that hot burn's real, for sure. That hot burn's real. But <laughs> if you bring down that pH, if you bring down that pre-whirlpool pH and you get your pH down to your final pH around 4.6 in that neighborhood, you really get a lot of expressive hop character. You don't get a lot of that burn. Your beers are just kind of more mellow and more delicious. Yeah, I think that's really a benefit to doing pH adjustments. But for those who are like, well, I'm learning more about taking care of the water and doing water adjustments. Do you think water part. adjustments are more important to a beer? Or would you say pH adjustment if you're going for <laughs> if you're starting out? Yeah, if you're starting out, water adjustments are incredibly important. You know, get your water tested. Send yep. it to Word Labs. Figure out what's in your water and then adjust it. 
you know, because you can do you can do a, a myriad of things with with adjusted water. I mean, you can brew any style of beer if you know what's in your water. Just throw a little, you know, your brewing salts. You've got calcium chloride, you've got gypsum, you've got magnesium, you've got this and that. That's um, one of the first things that Matt and I did. When I started brewing, I told Matt, I said, dude, we need to get our water tested because I brew on spring water that's bottled, right, from the store because I don't want to, I, I live, I have city water and I'm not, mm-hmm. I don't want chlorine in my beer. So I use spring water from the store and Matt thought it was funny. He goes, dude, you're sending that off to get tested. I was like, yeah, man. I was like, you should do the same. So he did. And our waters are vastly different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if Matt makes a, a lager and I make the same exact lager, our beers are the same beer, but you definitely notice the difference just because of the water, yeah. you know? And I have well water at my house. So here in Pennsylvania, I use well water. So I got it tested. So like I just manipulate my water based on what style I'm making. Generally speaking, I only manipulate my water for hazy IPAs and West Coast IPAs. I don't do a whole lot for any much else. It's pretty solid water, but you know, I'm always open to to doing other stuff. But yeah, it's that's really a big step. Do that before you do pH adjustments. That's my recommendation. You know, make sure your mash pH though is between 5.2 and 5.4. That's important. Yeah, I, I think I totally agree. I think water adjustments mm-hmm. are by far cheaper to do. And again, if you did want to get your water tested, it's you get it tested once and then you know what your water profile is going to be. Yeah, that's true. That's true. If you live in a city, you know, your water might change seasonally because they're going to they're going to change whatever they're putting in it. I mean, that part of it kind of sucks, you know, then you would have to do it multiple times. But if you're lucky and you're on a well, you do it once. Yeah, we're on well water. (laughs) So for us, it's lucky on that aspect. But again, for the city water, you can also get those reports. So I remember when we used to have city water, we used to get a report of what the water qualities were. And you can even request it from the town. So I believe that was free when we used to do that. But again, it all depends on the town. Could be different everywhere, yeah. I just limited that factor and just went spring water from from Lidl, the grocery store. Yeah, exactly. that's that's the easiest, cheapest. Well, not. I mean, that's how when I first started on a home brewer level. If you're doing five gallon batches, if you're gonna try and do exactly. thirty gallon yeah. plus or one barrel batches, then you I'd don't want to be hauling buckets of uh, your spring water yeah. from the grocery store. Yeah. yeah, I'd be doing reverse osmosis at that point. You know. Yeah, I mean? right. But, but no, yeah, that's how that's how I do my water. Okay, so James wanted to. Not that this hasn't been fun already. <laughs> wanted to. Throw in a little bit of a game for you all. A little bit of rivalry between the friends here. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so we are going to uh, ask who, it kinda, I feel like we're almost at like a, that's what they do at like wedding showers and baby showers, James. <laughs> no, it's not. This is like a game show, okay? This is called Where you say- Who Brewed It Better? <laughs> and we're going to. Okay, hold up the shoe of the person. No, I'm just kidding. What? I don't know what you're talking about. These shoes. I don't know what you're talking about. Hold up the beer, okay? So we're going to play the game. It's called Who Brewed It Better? And we're going to basically give you um, a category or a beer or something of that nature, something beer related. And you guys will both say who brewed it better or who makes it. Okay. And just say, you know, Oil Creek or just say your brewing name. Okay. So those listening can know who's who. All right, you ready? Yeah. yeah. Hazy IPA. Oil, Oil Creek. <laughs> Barrel aged beers. Mm, I guess it's kind of like a yeah. We've, we've only say. ever done them together. together yeah, is yeah. there a neutral? Is there a neutral yeah. on that? Yeah, we've only ever done them together. Okay, point for both. <laughs> point for both. Who's the pH yeah. wizard? Oh, Oil Creek. Okay. Yeah, I see it. <laughs> Who's the one... first pH beer we ever did was a kettle sour? Yeah. And but we brewed that together too, you know. We did, yeah. We did a kettle sour way back when. I forgot about that. 
just so many beers. It's hard yeah. to remember them oh, all. <laughs> it's ridiculous, yeah. Who has won more medals? Uh, okay, so that's kind of a toss-up because Matt and I have entered competitions with the same beer. Yeah. Matt won the first medals. I've won best of show. Oh, yeah, I've never had oh. hardware or no, the, so ooh. so so I'm looking at three blue ribbons right now, but then like I have I think there's more around the corner. I so it's it's kind of a toss up. Ray's right. I mean I, I took uh second in my region in the breweries in PA homebrew competition last year, which is actually coming up next weekend. I think we're about a tie. But I think region. it's I think it's pretty close. I mean like it's it's pretty close. Okay. Okay. All right. You guys are tied right now. Okay. I, I would say tie. All right. Okay. Who's the bigger beer snob? And I think we might have gotten a taste from some corrections that were going on already, <laughs> but go ahead. Uh, definitely Matt. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, that might be a tie because here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are too nice. Yeah, you guys are, all right, you guys are too nice. We're gonna call you each Matt. separately, no, and we'll get the truth. I actually, I actually have a thing in my in my garage, and it's it's a it's a bottle opener, and it says it's like a like a dictionary definition. It says beer snob noun number one. Like it has a definition: a one who refuses to drink crap beer, craft not craft, crap yeah. beer. And then number two is actually my name, and it's printed on the board. Um, <laughs> so. By definition, you are. I guess it's me. Yeah, or Creek. He's a bigger beer snob. Okay. All right. Pro flight or pro pint? Ooh. Well, so I'm I'm pro pint. I'm pro flight probably because I always got four beers on tap. Oh well, that makes it easy. Yeah. Yeah. And who has the bigger fermenter? I feel like that's a. And we, like have a, same, we have the same capacity. Okay. Same capacity. Actually, I got all that's actually he's he's right. Yeah, he has his wild beers plus his little his little bucket his little. I got two steel I can ferment twenty gallons. Matt can ferment ten. Yeah. That's oh, really okay. Cool. His fermenter brings all the beers to the yard. Right. Right. <laughs> that's, that's right. Okay. Well, I feel like there's a tie in this game that you yeah, made, I James. Shoot. I was not anticipating a tie, so I feel like we need. Hey, a... man breaker here but matt's the one that got me in the brewing so i could imagine be a tie right well i was gonna say who's the padawan now and who's the master when uh it started i don't know i mean yeah i think we're both well i mean i guess ray might have pulled a, ray mean... might have pulled a darth vader on you uh matt so i'm gonna i'm gonna pull a little rank here i brewed last week on a 10 barrel system ray's never done that oh. but matt's never won a home that's the show so i mean <laughs> so who's the obi-wan of the Brewers and who's the Matt, Darth Vader Matt's of the, the Brewers? One. I'm the I'm the Anakin. <laughs> I'm the Anakin. <laughs> Let me see. Yep. So you have the you took the high ground. Yeah. No. De de definitely, Master Obi Wan. He's the one that got me in the brewing. I mean, I've I've literally only and I've I've brewed over a hundred beers at this point, and that's not a lot considering. But in three years, it is. But Matt is the one that got me into it. He's the one that. Every single time we brew, even now, like we know what we're doing, but we call each other and be like, yo, like, what do you think about this recipe? What do you think about this hop schedule? What do you think about this malt bill? Like we just go back and forth. But even now, like I'll, I'll call Matt and I know what to do. I'll transfer something. I'll be like, hey, dude, what do you think I should do here? And he'll tell me. And no one has all the answers, even as many beers as we brewed and medals we've won. You don't have all the answers. Yeah. So, but Matt's Obi-Wan. I'm Anakin. Okay. <laughs> So we're ending it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. Well, do you all want to just give everyone your social yeah. media where they can find you and anything else you want to plug before we sign off? Yeah, absolutely. So Oil Creek Brewing Company, you can check it out on Instagram and Facebook at Oil Creek Brewing Company. 
um, keep up to date. I make story posts and put posts on there regularly, at least once a week. I try to keep up on that. Always try to give a little tips and helps and all that sort of stuff, stuff on there. So you can check it out there. 1419, you can check me out. It's 1419 uh, Brewery or Brew House on Instagram. I don't really pay attention to Facebook much, but just hit me up on Instagram, do a follow, and, uh, you know, if you have any questions, I'm more than happy. I've had people reach out to me about my beers and pictures and stuff and ask me how I do things, and I'm more than happy to get in depth, and so is Matt. He'll he'll yeah. love to go in depth with anyone on how to brew a style. He actually had yeah, Matt just... actually tell you about a guy in Australia. Matt gets sent him a recipe for a hazy IPA, and this guy took best of show for his hazy IPA <laughs> in Australia because of yeah. Matt. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Wow. It's pretty cool. That's awesome. So, yeah, that's great. Spreading the wealth across the world. Yeah. Now I just want to like call Ray and go over to our neighbor who's moving, who's got a whole bunch of wildflowers in her backyard, run over our fermenter and just have it open and do Ray's dream there and just get his thoughts on how we could do it before nah, the new I'm, people move just in. Cut those babies, just cut those babies off, put them in a mason jar and get yourself some little sugar liquid in there and just start spinning <laughs> that bitch on your stir <laughs> Yeah, there we Definitely. go. That's I, so much easier, yeah. It is. Wild beers are where it's at, man. I love farmhouse, love saison. Um, any beer style, to be honest with you, I love it. That's really it, too. Like, a lot of people are like, I don't like that style. Well, you haven't had you haven't tried you it haven't had the right one yet. Is it yeah. because you don't like that style or you haven't had a good version yeah. of that style? Yeah, 100%, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, that's our story. Well, we love to hear it. It was amazing, and we appreciate you all for coming on. We thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much. We hey, appreciate you asking us. Also, thank you for uh, letting us do this combined because, I mean, our story is literally intertwined so well that doing it separately wouldn't even made sense, you know, so. Yeah, but it was great. Well, thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Double Hot Beat. And don't forget, we have merchandise. So head on over to our Instagram to find the link for that. And also, we have launched our new Brew Another Day initiative. And those t-shirts and mugs can also be found on our merchandise website. And if you're a home brewer like Matt and Ray, direct message us on our Instagram at Double Hot Beat Podcast so we can help share your story of home brewing and bring it to everyone. And don't forget to follow us at Double Hot Beat Podcast on Instagram. Tag your friends in your favorite episode. And also rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us get new listeners. And follow. Follow, follow, follow. This has been Double Double Hot Hot Beat. Beat. Catch Catch you on the brew side. side.